Welcome to Hearth and Soul. I'm your host, Angela Torres Kukyun. I'm a foodie, food nerd, opera singer, and the food manager and preservation queen at Spoken, a cafe in the Ravenswood neighborhood of Chicago. I have extensive experience in food service, and I think I have this sort of passion that sits within me, and the more I learn, the more I want to share. And people started asking me questions, and the more questions I answered, the more I realized that maybe I should put it down for others that don't know me and can't ask me in person. Welcome to episode six. We are still here, or again here, or however you perceive it to be. Uh, We're here with Ian. King of spirits. We're talking spirits. Oh man! And we left off with um, we left off with rum with some really like amazing like sex in your mouth rum mm-hmm. from the Philippines. And uh, God Ian, bless the Philippines. God uh, right? bless. That is some good sugar. It, Shout out to the Philippines. I didn't talk about where that sugar comes from, but it comes from a really specific growing region within the Philippines, which is known for its sugar production. Wow! And so it just makes great rum. That's awesome. Yeah. But what we didn't get to in the last episode was as far as sugars. (laughs) Well, well, it was everything else. But you did want to uh, say a little bit about tequila. I do want to say a little bit about tequila because it is both kind of like sugar spirit adjacent and also like herb spirit adjacent. It's a very funny little little speck in the world of spirits that Mm -hmm. is very important at the same time. Right. Um, Tequila is one of the few spirits that has a true uh, delineation of origin, denomination of origin, mm-hmm. or denomination de origin, um, where the EU has a protected certification in which a spirit or wine or beverage or food product made in a particular region has the flavors of that region, that that, that region produces the best version of that or is a specific version of that in which it should be protected and the style and manner in which it's made is um is taken care of right like the easiest example we talked about last night was champagne champagne is technically champagne can only be made in champagne right now people can grow champagne grapes right all over the world um however to make a true champagne it must come from champagne and then you have with that you have just means in which that champagne is made how does it get its bubble what is this what is the method of second fermentation that does that and so mm-hmm. on and so forth that's with champagne and with tequila you have a denomination of origin where the world said this product is distinctive in its own way because of the region in which it came from and the tradition the history the manner the culture around it should be protected and should mm-hmm. be celebrated Absolutely. um so it is yeah you know and people can do things within that but you have to do it within those parameters. So right. for Mexico, it's called an NOM number. Okay. I'm not sure what that stands for. I cannot remember, but something of Mexico. And that is a delineation to indicate that this particular distillery in the regions that are specific to making tequila uh, meets the requirements and standards therein to make tequila. Okay. So that's one thing about kind of denomination of origin. And then what is agave? Can you what what do you think the agave plant is like? What it, just describe it to me? Give me something. I want. I'm kind of just curious to see. It's a variant of the not a variant, but you know something akin to sugarcane, but just a different. Maybe it's like a grass. Sure. Okay, and Angela. I always thought of it more as like akin to aloe, like a. Ding 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 ding. So. <laughs> You know, and People, it may be, I, I have to say that maybe I cheated a little bit because I did, I have spent some time in Mexico and I'm pretty sure that I maybe have driven 
by agave fields. Agave fields. Yeah. So that may be why that image is in my head. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so agave is more re- is related to the succulent family. It's, it's related to aloe. And mm-hmm. people will tell you things all the time. People will tell you that it's a cactus. It's not. Right. And it's not really related to sugarcane in that same way, but it does produce a sweet saccharine nectar. Right. That can be used in fermentation. But really what you're using is the roasted piña. Okay. And how you cut the piña, how you roast the piña is going to play a huge role in how that tequila is flavored. Interesting. You can leave a little bit of the stock of the, the you know, mm-hmm. that, that spike. You can leave that on. Okay. A little bit, just like a little bit, just give it a uh, grassier, greener, peppery, like 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 jalapeno peppery oh, flavors and things like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, or you can take it all the way off, which is going to yield a cleaner, maybe a little sweeter, maybe a little bit more carameled sure. um, flavor profile. Right. And I didn't, I didn't know it was roasted at all. Like I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So you take. So tequila, all tequila is mezcal, not all mezcal is tequila. Mezcal is a agave spirit. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, mezcal is not protected under these same rights and rules, but mezcal is truly a frontier spirit. It's really doing its own thing. You can make it in so many different ways with so many different kinds of agave, whereas tequila must be made with uh, Weber Blue. Right. Weber Blue agave is mm-hmm. what you have to use to make tequila. Um, it's part of the process. Uh, you can grow it within two kind of... So you grow it into various states. It's most prominently coming out of Jalisco. Okay. And you get it either in the valley of Jalisco or in the surrounding area of Jalisco. Uh-huh. And those two different soil types are going to garner a different kind of um, flavor as well. Okay. So with tequila, you can age it. You can not age it. And then there are different kind of ways to kind of delineate what you're buying. So if you're going to just get fresh tequila, it's aged less than 60 days. This is going to be called silver, blanco, white, uh-huh. platinum is another word used for it. Uh, those are going to have a lot more of those like kind of like those jalapeno peppery notes. When you, yeah. when you people, what I was, what I was expecting with tequila was something so sweet because of, you know, like agave nectar where yeah. we get it at the store and it's like this really like, sweet thing. Yeah. But they're pressing the juice out, and they're pressing it th- usually through like a rolling method. There's a there's an old school method which is called a tajon, and that's when a donkey drags a giant stone over it, wheel over a track, and just presses it down oh and extracts gosh. the juice that way. But most often you're gonna get like a roller, like a right. steel roller or a stone roller, and it's on a mechanic, uh, some kind of mechanical thing. Sure, um, that's really how often it's most often how it's going to be extracted uh, and with that you can then age it into something called like gold or oven or uh, which is still fresh tequila that's blended with like caramel and some aged tequila okay. so if you see gold beware it might not be aged got it okay yeah if you see reposado that means that it was aged for a minimum of how many months only two Okay. Uh, okay. Now that's the minimum. Very often people exceed that. Right. And okay. very often this tequila is being aged in spent bourbon casks, spent scotch casks, spent cherry casks. Like, you know, kind of doesn't really matter as long as it's aged in a barrel. Okay. So it's aged for at least two months. Then you could have Añejo, which is going to be aged for at least one year. So think about it. If a Reposado comes up to that like 11 month mark, 
cut, take it out of the barrel. That's a repo. Mm-hmm. But if it goes over that one year, then it becomes an añejo. Okay. And lately, you've seen like extra and ultra añejo, and that's going to be aged product for three years. So much. Okay. And and very expensive. Okay. Um, it's so funny to think that like a like a eight year old whiskey can be like fifty dollars less than a three year old tequila, but it can. <laughs> Right, extra right. añejo can be quite expensive and then there's a cristalino tequila and that's an añejo that's been filtered to strip the color interesting huh yeah yeah mm, same with like why, rum yeah and i wonder like i'm just curious why is that a thing why is it necessary to strip the color or why do people like that why not? I guess is the, the okay. like the general answer. Um, sometimes you filter a spirit because you want to clean it up. Okay. Like just kind of, uh, you know, lots, lots of things come out of a barrel and are filtered. Sure. Tennessee whiskey is a great example of that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. Tennessee whis- whiskey is filtered. Um, some methods of filtration strip color, some don't. Gotcha. Okay. Well, and as far as like filtration as it relates to coffee, mm-hmm. it can also yield like let's say you you have the same and i'm sure you know as with you know because beverage a beverage is a beverage like if you take the same product and filter it versus not filter it you're going to end up with two perhaps equal but two very different flavors right so like if you run one coffee through a chemex and that same coffee through a french press they're going to be different they're going to be very different definitely okay that makes sense yeah that makes sense yeah Exactly. So just kind of like, what kind of product are you trying to accomplish? Right. What are you trying, what what flavor are you trying to accomplish? Will filtering help you in that goal? Or in, in, what kind of filtering is going to work best? Fun fact, coconut shell charcoal is really good at stripping color. Huh. Exactly. Huh. Huh. So just like this, these, these weird little things. Fascinating. But uh, tequila is one of two spirits that we'll have talked about in the duration of these two episodes that have a denomination of origin or mm-hmm. something that is protected. The other being cognac, we'll get to that. Right. Um, and with age maturation, we're talking about like, you know, we have had a couple age spirits. Tequila ages to soften things. It can be quite green and grassy. Yeah. Uh, especially a Highland-style tequila, which is to say the, the agave came from the Highlands. Right. Okay. That's going to just... It's just going to give you that kind of flavor, which can be nice. It can be great with lime, but, like, maybe you want to age it and soften it up a little right. bit. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, barrel maturation is really great. We age things in barrels because at one point in history, we needed a place to put them. We just needed storage. a yeah. Just needed some storage. We just needed some storage, and we discovered through that that it also affected the overall flavor of a wine or a spirit or anything really. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it does. Uh, barrels have two chemicals in them that are important: lactin and vanillin, and they impart different kinds of flavors and different, mostly oak. We're talking about barrels. Mm-hmm. You can use other woods too, but mostly oak um, have different levels of those two chemicals present from different regions. So American wood is really high in vanillin, mm-hmm. but French limousine oak for cognac is really high in lactin. 
vanilla is going to give you vanilla flavors, sweeter flavors, sugarier flavors. Yeah. Lactin is going to give you spicier flavors, dried fruits, currants, things like that, raisins, and those kinds uh -huh. of elements. Spices, baking spices are going to be found in the lactin. You know, those, it changes things greatly. And it's become very important, especially if we're going to talk about our next topic, which I know the most about of all the things that we're talking about, which is kind of making me not palpitate so much in the chest. Um, whiskey. Yay! And specifically, I want to talk about American whiskey. There's Irish whiskey. whiskey. There's Canadian whiskey. There's Scotch whiskey. There's Japanese whiskey. I love them all. I love all of my children. How... <laughs> I do. I do. They're all really wonderful and really important. But we live in America. We are Americans. It's the thing that I worked with first in the industry, which so I have like a it has a little soft spot in my heart. Sure. And I want to clear up some ideas about American whiskey so mm -hmm. that we can get off our fucking high horse about it and yes, just understand please. it better. You know, yes. a lot of people I think Nowadays, we have really educated consumers when it comes to tasting spirits and drinking spirits. Mm -hmm. um, but some of them are hyper-educated. And some of them are educated in the wrong ways. And there's so much information out there. And there's no real way to indicate what's the right information. Right. Okay. Um, so what is whiskey? Whiskey is any, any distillate made from cereal grains. Right. So that's corn, rye, wheat, barley, millet oats. is technically oats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, any of these. Now, most often you're going to see barley, oat, barley, rye, corn, wheat, and then maybe oat and some other miscellaneous grains that kind of round out a mash bill. Right. I, I had never thought about oat as being part of that. Yeah, same. Until I was introduced to the folks at Koval. Right. And started using oh, some of their stuff interesting because mm -hmm. they had... actually have one that's uh, it's it's primarily oat it's actually so one thing about koval if you look at their labels and it says this is rye whiskey or oat whiskey or wheat whiskey it is a hundred percent that that grain yeah their bourbon and their four grain obviously four grain whiskey are the only mash bills they have that are multiple grains and let's talk about mash because we've talked about a lot of distillate but we've not talked about what makes a distillate right uh in whiskey it's called a mash and that's a collection of grains that has been macerated and fermented to create a ferment to create a, um an alcoholic beverage that can be distilled when you make a mash and it's ready for distillation it's actually called a distiller's beer because oh. it's about the same abv as beer it's actually technically kind of a beer because it's made from grain okay um and so that's that's the base of what becomes a whiskey uh vodka can be made from a mash vodka can be made from a wine vodka can be made from fermented honey you know or fruit wine or you know it really can be made from anything but a mash when you, when you hear that word or maybe even a word understand that that is grain specific it is specifically grain okay um Grains impart a great different kind of flavor depending on the grains you utilize. Mm -hmm. And in America, you're most often going to see rye and corn. Mm -hmm. Those and barley. Right. Where did we get the idea to make whiskey from our English and Scottish ancestry? That's where, you know that's where we got the idea. Mm -hmm. And one reason why American whiskey is so distinctive from a Scotch or an Irish style, which are earthier and smokier yeah. and 
burnt, grassier, and you know, just different mm-hmm. and saltier, actually, brinier. And that's because America is made up of a bunch of different cultures. Um, bourbon tastes the way it does because it's made from corn, but also we had people from cognac coming in and distilling. And so they were bringing their own kind of flavor ideas. Ideas and, into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 So there's 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 just a whole this melting pot of culture which creates this kind of one distinct thing, and also something we talked about this before that we filmed this uh, filmed. filmed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not pretty enough. Uh, before before we sure before <laughs> before we were we got, got here today, we talked and you had kind of talked about wanting to know a little bit about the history of bourbon, and I have decided two things. I can tell you. Only so much in the time we have. And Michael Veach <laughs> is a much better voice for that topic. Fantastic. Michael Veach is a historian, and uh, he lives in Louisville, Kentucky. He is a native Kentuckian. Um, he is the the source and knowledge for bourbon history and, and, and science in America. He has researched it the most, and he has a book called Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey and American Heritage. And it kind of goes through how bourbon and just whiskey in general uh, has changed throughout our history, how it formed within our history. And he's the first to admit that there's really no clear answer to some of these questions that we have but we can we can definitely say these things mm-hmm. um one of which is that uh a lot of this started with the whiskey rebellion and a lot of how we make whiskey is because of how people were responding to the whiskey rebellion which is when the first administration of the american government run by george washington mm-hmm. decided to tax distillate and to tax distillers this in my opinion, kind of having read all the history that I can, is one reason why prohibition was possible. And it's weird to say this because I'm all about, like, standing your ground and owning your product. However, had they allowed for regulation and taxation, Mm -hmm. where there would have been monitoring monitoring from another set of eyes Uh or body, government body, um, it would have been harder to abolish But because they kind of won, now there were taxes that they were able to institute, but because they were like moving out west and they were distilling in these other regions, Mm -hmm. they were kind of getting away with not having a lot of uh, oversight. Um, It was easier for the teetotalers to say things like, we don't know what this is. What is this crazy mystery thing? Like, what are you putting in our bodies? This Mm -hmm. is so bad for you. Had they just allowed for regulation the consumer body would have been more educated than it was at the time of... That's so interesting. Yeah. The Women's Christian Temples Union. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. So that's part of it. And then what is our American whiskey? You know, bourbon is kind of Mm -hmm. the thing that we think of the most. It's the most American of the American whiskeys. Maybe rye is a short second after that. There was a lot of rye being made. Probably more rye than bourbon initially, just because a lot of that stuff is coming out of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania was first. Sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah. It just is. It just is. <laughs> right. Um, and then what is bourbon? So nowadays we can actually answer that question. Mm-hmm. Bourbon is a whiskey that has been made with at least 51% corn in the mash bill that has been distilled within the parameters of distillation. That is to say that it doesn't reach a certain point over uh, overproof in the distillation process to keep the flavor okay. congeners intact. Uh, it is aged 
in a barrel of American white oak that is virgin and unused and charred. Okay. Wow. Virgin and unused is the same thing. I repeated myself. (laughs) That is really what a bourbon is. Some things you're going to hear. Bourbon has to be aged for four years, two years, 12 years, 10 years. Must be bonded. There is no age requirement at all. It just has to be aged in a barrel. No one said it has to be two years. So it could be like a day and it's still bourbon? Yeah. So the U.S. defines a whiskey as a grain spirit that's been aged in a barrel for at least 24 hours. So literally a day. Literally Literally, it could be a day. Literally it could be a day. Uh, It won't pick up. It will, oh, but also you cannot add uh, colors and flavors. Okay. To whiskey so, or to bourbon specifically? To bourbon. Okay. Okay, so it would suck, but it, but it would still but be But it could bourbon. be possible. Not necessarily. I mean, if it's, you know, like, young... So, I, well, the first thing I'm going to give you is a pretty young whiskey. Oh, cool. Yeah, because I want to show you that, no, it doesn't have to suck. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, it can be really interesting. Okay. Um, we were aging for a lot longer for other reasons. They were so like when when bottled and bond practices were were around. That mm-hmm. was really to kind of th- th- there's a duration of time, and that is because it took people a long time to get there. Like we have to check on this, but like give me eight years. Yeah, I'm busy. Yeah, and it's hard without my car that I don't have yet. Right. <laughs> You know, things like, so that's that's why there's a lot. Now, there are other things on the bottle that you can see. So if you see bourbon, whiskey, bourbon, whiskey. Yes. That means that it is made in America, was aged in a barrel, 51% corn in a mash bill, all that good stuff. Okay. If you see straight bourbon whiskey in that order, mm-hmm. that means that it was aged for at least two years. Okay. Okay. So okay. yes, if it's a straight bourbon whiskey... Uh, then, then it's aged more than a day. Yeah. If you see straight <laughs> Kentucky whiskey or straight or, or straight bourbon whiskey, Kentucky or Kentucky bourbon, uh-huh. that means it's from Kentucky and kudos. Right. And that's, that's great. It. And that's, that's great. it. That's it. Now, it has to follow the other thing. So if, if straight appears on the bottle, then it has to be aged for two years. If bottled and bond has to appears on the bottle, then I, I think, I don't know what it is right now, but that means that it follows the practices of bottle and bonding that we've established now as of today. Okay. Um, so there are those things, but uh, Kentucky actually lays no claim to bourbon. Yes. Can we say that again for the folks in the back that seem to think, because I've gotten this a lot, actually, and I've been mansplained to more than once. This is, I'm not talking about you, Ian. Oh, I know, I know. Because you've never mansplained to me once, ever. Um, that it can only be called bourbon if it's from Kentucky, and if it's you, if they use the water from a very specific part of this river, and it's it's made in Louisville, it, like all of these things, like that can only be called a bourbon. Yeah, and Jesus pissed in it. And, it's and like, yeah, yeah, and and Ian <laughs> Ian so delightfully informed me that yeah, that's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. There are things that people will remember. They'll talk about like case histories from the '60s that, that decided that bourbon can be made anywhere, and like it's all stupid. <laughs> Stop it. Um, what really we need to understand is that this is something that as like, as people, we can embrace this spirit as a multicultural creation that is really cool and beautiful and delicious. Um, I love that. so in 1870 was the first time we see bourbon whiskey and bourbon County kind of linked, Mm -hmm. you know, in a, in a written way, in a, in a, in a trackable way. Um, and that's not. That's we've been making corn-based whiskey for much longer than that. That right. doesn't make yeah, any yeah, sense. Yeah. Now, Bourbon County, that area of Kentucky, is really ideal for creating bourbon because that limestone deposit where the water is 
is kind of filtering through makes for ideal water to distill. And it's not, you know, you take water off of a river and you drink a whole cup of it, you're going to puke. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make you sick. Right. But it's still, it's still filtered. That limestone does still filter it. And it brings it to a good pH to distill. That's okay. really why Bourbon okay. County, well, that's what Bourbon County has for going for it. Right. Is that limestone okay. deposit makes for great water for distillate. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. Okay. That's why there's so many now that Distilleries guy so michael that beach who i was talking about earlier yes. he's a scholar and historian and he has spent his his career studying and and defining whiskey he thinks he posits that the name bourbon actually probably stems from bourbon street oh oh in new orleans new orleans okay so in new orleans like just quickly going away from whiskey cognac was king mm-hmm uh, cognac, and really in, in the colonies, cognac was king. Especially once we started ha- having a better relationship with France after our revolution and, mm-hmm. and theirs fully. <laughs> um, we see a lot of their stuff coming in. We see their their vermouth coming in in the French style. We see cognac coming in. We see calvados coming and in. There's actually, side note, when um, looking through historical cookbooks that I have, like I have a lot of reproductions, um, and a lot of times there's a whole section on beverages. Um, punches and and holiday beverages and things like that and i remember thinking why is there cognac in all of these things i can't afford that right now like right it was it was unnerving to me when i first would read these things that like everything has cognac why does everything have cognac because it? it was available because that's what they had which now makes had. perfect sense but in the beginning when i was first starting my foray into like right reading all this historical stuff i was like i don't get it nobody drinks cognac the first sazerac was made with cognac the first Sazerac cocktail, which we think of today as a rye cocktail, uh-huh. a, rye, a rye whiskey cocktail, was actually made with cognac, with cognac. And I encourage you to try it. It's really delicious. I bet it is. It's really, really great. Um, so these two brothers from France who are making cognac, mm-hmm. I cannot remember their name. It begins with a T cool. and it's hard to pronounce and my French is bad. Google it, friends. Google it, friends. Google Michael Beach and read his book. It's really good. Kentucky yes, Bourbon Whiskey and American History. I'll let you borrow it. Oh, um, these two brothers come over and they start to make corn-based whiskey because it's something that they can sell Mm -hmm. they think that it'll it'll match the palate of the americans who are consuming a great deal of cognac Mm -hmm. and if they age it in barrels it'll be even closer to what cognac is okay because cognac has been aging for a long time and they have really 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 strict rules right uh they would then make it up in the area of like indiana kentucky they would shoot it down the ohio river which would go over into new orleans and be sold on bourbon street which was the center of nightlife and people would ask for that uh, the, the, that bourbon, or rather that whiskey from Bourbon Street, or that bourbon whiskey. Uh, so he thinks that that's the kind of etymolo- etymological track okay. of how we got bourbon whiskey. And I'm inclined to believe him because he knows more than I do. <laughs> and also, it just makes more sense. Like, why is it this one region that was making it? Well, because as we were moving west, that was the next stop. It was yeah. right there. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, Kentucky, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, like it's it's not it's not impossible to think that that track exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and why would there be some kind of like? heritage based around it when everyone who was going there was moving on again um, yeah you know like yeah yeah so so this you know kentucky bourbon they make good bourbon and they make the lion's share of bourbon 
Like they really do, mm-hmm. and it's uh, that's great. They do. They make great bourbon. They make fantastic bourbon. But it's um, not the only bourbon. It's not the right. only bourbon. Which is what that's exactly what I wanted to clarify. And I want, and I would, I don't want to. I what I hate about anything, any kind of cultural icon, bourbon being one of them. I hate the idea that we have a limit to what it is or what it can be. Mm-hmm. Because if you're just making bourbon from Kentucky, well, at this point, Kentucky bourbon is just wrought with opinions and tradition and expectations. But if we can make it in Colorado, who gives a shit? Let's just make it. You know what I mean? And then suddenly it becomes a little bit more inclusive. And it's something that we can say that we can only make here. And it's, I think, is something that can, like, bring these a culture together in one aspect. Yeah, yeah. Why not, why not do that? And with that, I think, you know, I've talked way too long and my boyfriend is texting me out the ass right now. <laughs> is um, that what that buzzing is? That's what that buzzing is. That buzzing is Nick. I love you, Nick. <laughs> You're my little sunshine. Um, I I want to I want to show you a nice young bourbon whiskey. All right, lovely. So this is under a year old. Okay. (laughs) Well, I should say this: the oldest barrel that appears in this bottle is two years old. The youngest barrel is nine months old. Okay. When you blend barrels together of like product, the youngest age statement is the only age statement you are allowed to use on the bottle. But you are not required to use an age statement on your bottle. Oh, okay. People choose to because it sells better. Yeah. That makes sense. This is, it's very light. Yes. I'm getting some woodiness. Oak. Yeah. You know. It's entirely possible that at this point my cold medication is worn off and I'm not smelling anything. I'm just putting that caveat out there. Cool. And for oak, you know, with bourbon we have to have charred wood mm-hmm. whereas cognac and wine and other spirits might use uh toasted wood oh so okay. you're going to get more wood flavor from a charred barrel and also if you use a used barrel you're also not going to get as much char right okay i'm really not getting much sweetness at all no i'm not either but not smokiness either Mm-mm. mostly just getting oak it's slight it's a little on the sharp side yeah I imagine it's not going to be very smooth, but I imagine that it's going to be very flavorful. Um, it depends on how you define smoothness. Okay. I'm going to drink it. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm going to drink it now. <laughs> mm. So I was, I was a little wrong, but also, oh man, I was kind of an astringent aftertaste there is a little astringent back note to it that's the youth. but it is very woody at the at the onset. yeah that's the youth and super warming yeah yeah i think so. that's what i've always loved about bourbon in general yeah so that's like a, it's like a warm hug for yourself this is a pretty high proof it is 98 proof okay so you know good deal of alcohol uh-huh it's young that's that astringent yeah yeah fuzzy quality mm-hmm. on your tongue bitter a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, tannic wines give you that same kind of cotton mouth feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I would... I would that's bitterness. I, I would bitter. make a cocktail with it, but I wouldn't drink it straight. It it, it coats your tongue really nicely, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this kind of is... reminds me of that Pisco. Yeah. Yeah. So this, yeah. this whiskey is made from Bloody Butcher Corn. It's that red corn stock, which is more delicate, a corn with higher sugar content. Mm-hmm. Um... So it's not going to give you that same kind of sweetness 
you know, that you get from yeah. other corns. Yeah. Um, I love making cocktails with this whiskey and that is a high proof it actually kind of comes through and other, you know, is it smooth? Yes. Why is it smooth? Because it didn't give you a top down acid reflux feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Smoothness is defined more in flavor than it is in like quality on the chest. Yeah. Um, like, like a hot whiskey that's like high proof and like super, Full of tail. We were we were talking about this before we filmed. Like yeah. super full of like the 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 sediments of whiskey. That's mm-hmm. going to be really aggressive on the palate. It's going to kind of cause your 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 pharynx to bear down and say no no no. Um, and it's also going to burn the chest. It's going to like okay cause like a burning sensation. Like you've drank something hot. Mm-hmm. That's smoothness. Yeah. Where those things are not present. Yeah. Right. Um, now, you may not like it. That's fine. And this is hot on the tongue because of all that alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it is young. Yeah. So th- those elements are there. But if you taste that astringent quality that you were talking about, that's youth. That's youth in whiskey. Cool. Yeah. That's really So that's how you can start to identify that. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I like it. But I there are, there are quite a few bourbons that I will just drink straight. Yeah. Same. Um, I don't know that I would... I don't know. I, I guess if I if it's what was available, but generally speaking, a, I don't think I would. I'm more of a drinking whiskey neat person. Like my favorite whiskey to drink neat is actually out of Milwaukee. It's called Kinnickinnick whiskey, and I just drink it straight. Um, my oh. favorite whiskey right now is a cognac finished wheat whiskey from J. Henry, also from Wisconsin. I guess I could have passed. Sorry. <laughs> and <laughs> it okay. is it's just so delicious. I like wheat, I like weeded whiskeys. This uh, this is something I really enjoy. But now I want to show you the American whiskey that has been aged. This is a Tennessee style whiskey. It's called Uncle Nearest, 1856. Mm. Did you say that this has been filtered? This has been filtered. I want to. Don't want to get into that right away. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, sorry. Uh, just because I don't want to. The filtering. It is a very specific thing to the flavor. Okay. And I don't want it to. I'm I'm kind of, I have coffee filtering in my in my mind, and so I it's possible that I'm leaning too heavily on that. Uh, but coffee is the right direction in terms of what you're experiencing on the nose for sure. Mm-hmm. So this is a Tennessee style whiskey, and what what delineates a Tennessee style whiskey over a bourbon style whiskey is that it is made in Tennessee, and it is a bourbon whiskey or a high corn whiskey that has been filtered through sugar maple charcoal. Oh. Very specific. Yes. Very specific. But it definitely has more of um, like that sort of almost caramely smell to it. Very much so. And less woody. It's incredibly crisp smelling. Yeah. So this had more time in the barrel. Mm-hmm. I was going to pull on those vanilla and those lactin mm-hmm. elements. I'm getting green apple. Yeah, totally. Pectiny fruit. I get pectiny, all sorts of pectiny fruit when I taste and smell this. Yeah. Yeah, try it. That is the most apple-y. It is so fruity. Yeah. Holy God, that's so... Wow. I would definitely put this in an apple cider cocktail. Absolutely. Wow. That's really interesting. 
Yeah, super apple-y. Pear, like Bartlett pear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's 8 to 12 years old, 100 proof. Holy man. Wow. But do you see what I mean? Like, yeah. it's 100 proof. It's a little higher proof than the last one. And while the flavor, the barrel does a, a world of wonder on being nicer to your palate, it still has a similar feeling. Like in terms of like a physical sensation. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, in terms of so like that's a good that's a sign of a good spirit. Mm-hmm. Good, well made spirit. I'm getting like specifically, I'm getting um, green apple. Uh, oh shoot, I'm forgetting the name of this candy, but like a green apple candy. Yeah, like oh, a Jolly yeah. Rancher. Yes, green apple yeah. Jolly Rancher. Totally. I get that. Jolly Ranchers appear in a lot of tasting notes. Just so y'all know. Yeah. Like yeah. use it. If you say I taste, I taste plums and and mystery airheads. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's real. I'm. I mean, I feel like I'm getting more green apple skin than green apple flesh. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get like uh, I like the skin of a caramel apple. Apple. Yeah. 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 That's. Yeah, Uncle Nearest is a really important person in American distillate history. Mm-hmm. And I think one that we should definitely take the time to talk about. Um, a young boy at the age of 13 ran away from home. Well, a little younger than that. By the time he got to a gentleman named Dan Call, he was about 13 years old. He had been distilling with a gentleman known as Uncle Nearest, real name Nathan Green. That mm. man taught him. I know that name. Dan Call. No, Nathan Green. Nathan Green. He taught he taught this boy how to distill. And then one day, Dan Call's wife said to him, you're a preacher or you're a distiller. He was both. Mm. If you're a distiller, I'm leaving you. And he said, well, I guess I should sell my distillery. So he sold it to the young man, the 13-year-old boy, mm-hmm. with $30, for $30 that he loaned to this young man, who is Jack Daniel. Oh, Wow. When Nathan Green experienced emancipation and Jack Daniel then owned his distillery, Nathan Green became the first head distiller, what we would call a master distiller today, of the Jack Daniel distillery, which means the first master distiller of Jack Daniels is not only a black man, but a former slave who experienced emancipation and then went on to be the highest paid employee of the Jack Daniel distillery. That's a pretty spectacular story. That's amazing. amazing. And one that needs to be told... Yeah. That the Brown Foreman Company has started to tell quite aggressively. And Uncle Nearest, the whiskey, is a product to support and to honor that man. And he had a really fantastic ethos around creating whiskey distillate. And he's one of the men accredited with establishing this Lincoln County process, which is that filtration process of taking a fine corn whiskey and filtering it through sugar maple charcoal. Wow. Which is something that we got from the slave trade days. Right. West African uh, citizens filtered everything mm-hmm. because it made it better to consume. Right. So they brought that with them. And so I just it's, it's just so important to talk about and to think about. And it's an interesting, you know, like, I wish that we could just tell that story without having to make mention that he was a former slave. But I also think that right now it's a really important thing to point out to say, to say that those people who were unfortunately enslaved played a huge part in not only our history, but a major aspect of our culture. 
Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. I, there's, um, side note, there is, and I'm going to forget his name, but there is a man in Colonial Williamsburg who has, uh, been working there for, I, I don't know how long now, but he, it, he took it upon himself to spread the knowledge of the foodways of the enslaved peoples. And so he recreates an, a home of enslaved family in Colonial Williamsburg, and then he recreates the food to emphasize what, what it is that those people contributed to our current culture, to our current way of living. And I just think it's so fascinating. I, I wish I could remember his name off the top of my head, but I'm miserably failing. But if you guys, if you Google Colonial Williamsburg and you Google um, foodways of of the slaves, it, he'll probably pop up because he, he tours the country and does all kinds of amazing things. But I think that's a fascinating story. And I agree with you that that is something that it's important right now. It's important to be telling these stories because I think a lot of people right now don't seem to realize just how influenced we are. Oh, absolutely. And going back to Uncle Nearest, the person, the product, and Jack Daniels, the, the, the whiskey, there is still a descendant of Nathan Green working at the distillery. and That's so cool. The families that are of direct descendant of both lines are still very close. In fact, the master distiller of Uncle Nearest, the whiskey that we just tried, uh, is a woman who is a direct descendant of Jack Daniel. That's so cool. Yeah, it is really cool. There's also not enough women rep- women in distillate who are making it, mm-hmm. who are you know actually creating the whiskey. Like, yeah. And so it's important, I think, to support and promote her her work and just like this story. The story is fantastic, and it. I you know I hate to say a feel good story, but it is a feel good story, mm-hmm. and it reminds us that that great things are possible, and yeah, how how important is this man? He's so important, He's so important to American distillate. Uh, so Uncle Nearest whiskey is available all over the place. It's a new product on the market. Is that the one that you left at my house yes. a couple weeks ago? Yes, it is. Sweet. So I have more of it. Nice. <laughs> it's really good. Cool. It's really 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 good. But we can't talk about. Age spirits without talking about eau de vie or brandy. Brandy. And that's kind of where we're going to tidy things up. That I, is the other one that comes up in almost every beverage recipe. Right. In these reproduction cookbooks, these colonial era cookbooks. Rightfully it's in, so. It's in, And everything that I make at Christmas time, which most of what I make is, is historic from, based from historic recipes, almost all of it has brandy in it. So the, the meat pie has brandy in it the christmas pudding that you know mrs cratchit makes for her kids in in charles dickens a christmas carol that has brandy has brandy in it the eggnog that i make from scratch has brandy in it like everything has brandy in it i buy so much brandy at christmas time oh i (laughs) bet ridiculous i bet and it's delicious it's delicious it's a great and being from wisconsin wisconsin consumes the most brandy per capita in the country which the I most did not... brandy the most corbel specifically yes. as well and the most alcohol <laughs> just in general by the way because we well ball. done guys well done we ball you do you do <laughs> wisconsin is a great market thank you wisconsin <laughs> 
You are awesome. Uh, the I mean, in Wisconsin, you have the Wisconsin Old Fashioned or the Brandy Old Fashioned, which is a drink in and of itself, uh, which with fuzzy heritage. I don't know how I'd feel about that. Oh, I'd have to so have it. I'd good. Ha- I would just have to oh have it. Oh, my God. I like brandy. I like old fashioned. Well, just think about this. The, f- the first old fashioned that was probably made, which is to say spirits, water, sugar, uh-huh. bitters. Bitters, yeah. Was probably made with cognac. Okay. All right. That's fair. You know? Yeah. Um, so so d- you can make an old fashioned out of anything, by the way. There's nothing that says you can't make it with gin or vodka or brandy or pisco or anything rum you can make an old-fashioned out of anything a cocktail in the old-fashioned is just that spirits water sugar bitters go hog wild make as many variations as you can please make as many variations as you can i want to see all in one night i mean you know what no drink responsibly folks i should actually want to talk about (laughs) i do want to talk about that but um but brandy is one of the oldest distillates that we have a, like a really clear and defined heritage around it was okay. yeah you know it's um france has a great history with food and mm-hmm. they protect their they protect their recipes and they protect what they do yes, they which do. i think is i think is great i you know it, have pride in what you do mm-hmm. thank you for inspiring that and I'm flipping through a book right now, so I'm sure that's coming up on the microphone. <laughs> just that's, to get... that's okay. I know, okay. right? I mean, you know. He's got pages and pages of notes, friends. This is all just pages like... Pages and pages and pages. pages. It's like, it's... it's really, it is so much. But cognac is not the only brandy out there. Can we cut all that? I would love to cut all that. Cognac is not the only brandy out there in the world. It's not the only eau de vie. So if you hear eau de vie or if you hear uh, brandy, same thing. Okay. Um, water of life is what it translates to. Right. Um, probably came from the fact that if you fermented something, it was safer to drink a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, not really entirely sure. If you're looking at a bottle today, and it says brandy. That is made from wine. Grape. Grape juice. It's right. made from grape juice. Okay. If you want to have an apple brandy or a pear brandy or something else, mm-hmm. then you have to include that fruit. Brandy must be aged. Fruit brandy does not have to be aged. So if you see brandy, it had to have spent some time in a barrel. If you see apple brandy, it could have. It might not have. It doesn't have to. Okay. So just no, you know, no. And then you also be able to tell, is it a clear liquid? Then, you know, right. didn't spend a whole lot of time in barrels. When we're talking about age maturation with whiskey, and we were talking about American maturation, that's using a charred barrel where a, an active flame chars that wood. Mm-hmm. Whereas cognacs and brandies probably are coming out of barrels that were toasted, where they bend the stave, but they don't char the stave. It's not as porous. It's not as wooden of a flavor. It is aged for different times, too, so you're going to get more or less oak depending on the kind of brandy you're drinking. Um, But it's going to offer a different kind of wood experience and a wood maturation process. Hmm. Uh, Generally, when you see a bottle of brandy, it'll have some kind of delineation of like VS, VSOP, XO, Napoleon. for the most part, 
you can use brandy rules. So a VS stands for very special. Mm-hmm. Very special. Very special. It's going to be aged for at least two years. If you see a VSOP, that's very special old pale, very special original pale. No one knows. I'm not sure. But it's <laughs> going to stand for one of those two things. And that's going to imply that it was aged for four years at least. Okay. So, you know. Four at letters, least, four years. Four letters, four years. Could be five. Could be five and a half. Because when you get to XO or Napoleon, that's going to be six years at least. Okay. Many XOs, you're going to see 10 year expressions. Or more mm-hmm. or weird things or finished or blended but those are that's what that's the age expression you should expect okay so the wood is going to impart that much in that in that way in that right cognac is a protected spirit but also our maniac is a protected spirit hmm. so they have a delineation of origin as well okay our maniac is also from france done in a slightly different way I'm not going to talk about Armagnac. Honestly, it's too confusing for what we're talking about. I, I don't want to muddy the waters, but I do want to say Armagnac is really cool and interesting. Cognac is made in a pot still, which is to say something that has one level of distillation, so you have to do it over and over. Okay. Um, Armagnac is made in a column still, and so that has plates, and it's just a oh. continuous process. Uh, it's a continuous process, so it's going to l- lend itself to a different kind of spirit. Cognac is going to be a little bit more full-bodied. Armagnac is going to be smoother, lighter, but also has different age requirements as well. Okay. Um, and then you get into the rest of the world, and that is brandy. We had Pisco for the first episode. That is a Peruvian or a Chilean mm-hmm. brandy product made from rather young grapes and fermented and processed in a very specific way. A lot of mm-hmm. the stems and the, and the skins and the seeds are left in the juice to mm-hmm. um, to ferment. That's going to give it that naturalness, that funkiness we talked about. Uh, Chilean uh, Pisco can be aged. Peruvian Pisco should not be aged kind of a thing. There's a lot okay. of different requirements. But really what you're what you're what you're getting is a uh, spirit distilled to a to under a certain proof so as to keep a lot of the character of the fruit. Right. Uh, and the, the first thing we're going to try in is a VSOP cognac from uh, Camus, C-A-M-U-S. It's a cognac from one of the six delineated regions of cognac that can make cognac, and it's called the Borderie. Mm-hmm. It's the third finest or most desired, the others being Grand Champagne and Petit Champagne. Mm-hmm. Um. So let's try it. Yes. Great. Let's try it. Let's so this is a spirit distilled from wine. Excellent. And it's not distilled from a wine that you really want to drink as a wine. Okay. You know, it wine is made with such care. Wine is made with such care. Mm-hmm. This is not that. This okay. is made to be distilled. Gotcha. This is made for the final product. A product that I love. By the way, this is one of my favorite spirits to drink right now. Cognac? Yeah. Mm. 
That was a loud one. I know. That's <laughs> what spitting sounds like. I'm just drinking it because. Let's you know try what? again. <laughs> but you can see a similarity between like the bourbon and the Tennessee whiskey to this, as well as the pisco. Mm-hmm. You can see why those two French brothers thought that this would appeal to a cognac or bourbon would appeal, would appeal. to a cognac drinking yeah. people. I feel like the difference, the main difference is that there's a sharpness that those have that this one doesn't. Yeah, it's so nice. It's so smooth. It's so nice. Um, you also have different wood. This is French oak, and we were drinking from American oak. The French right. oak is toasted. The American oak is charred. Charred. Okay. Uh, the French oak offers more, like, spice flavors. Mm-hmm. I'm getting, I mean, obviously, but I am getting a lot of grape. Yes, you get all, I mean, it's made from grape juice. Yeah. Made from grape juice. I do get the spices, though, which I think is why I feel like this kind of spirit is used a lot at Christmas time. That, yeah, because it I, would lend I'm getting, itself well to those baking spices. At, well, and I'm getting, like, the hard spices, like nutmeg mm. and and black pepper and... I, I got... Oh, Ooh. I got black pepper as well. Yeah. I love black pepper in... Um, in like black pepper is like one of my favorite red wine notes. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. very good. You like a Malbec? Oh yeah. A Lodi California wine would do well for you. A Syrah. A Syrah. Mm. Shiraz. Shiraz. Just a nice Shiraz. Shirazzle. Like Shirazzle to... dazzle me. Shirazzle dazzle. That me. is lovely, but I will say, the recipes that I use that call for cognac, I don't usually use cognac because it's expensive. For for that application, so if I'm how making, much are you using in a recipe? It, well, for example, if I'm making my eggnog, I'm using a good like almost a whole bottle for one batch of eggnog. Yeah, I generally make at least three or four batches of eggnog to share with the world. Right. So that's because it also has two other spirits in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the alcohol content is very high in my eggnog, and that's what because it has raw eggs in it. Yeah. Mm. Um, we should do a batch. So Kamu is mine. I, I, I rep Kamu in Chicago. Okay. Um, with my company. So we should do a batch with cognac and a batch without and see the difference. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty I, sure um, last year I just bought like an inexpensive brandy and used that instead. Honestly, it's going to impart a lot of the same character. I, don't, I, I see no problem in substituting like for like yeah. in a recipe. I mean... I mean, it was delicious. Yeah. I'm sure if I, you know, if I had the cash to spend, I would absolutely splurge, you know. <sighs> but I think at that point I was like. I think you're mm. fine. I think we should try it. I think it'd be a fun experiment for us to try for funsies. Yeah. Well, maybe for, um, I always do it, Dickensian Christmas party. Oh yeah. My God. So maybe we'll do it for that. Yeah. Yeah. But like, honestly, I, I think if you're buying a brandy. Yeah. It's it, if you're buying a brandy made from grapes, it has to be aged. Right. So, you're going to get the things you need from it. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and one thing I I will say is I believe that we should use spirits like we use food ingredients and mm-hmm. if you're not going to eat it, then you shouldn't drink it or yeah. you know what I mean like yeah. like use quality, but like you know what don't don't take I have a lot of bottles that I don't do things with because i drink them as is because otherwise i don't i don't want to lose them right yeah yeah that makes sense that's it for today for more content check out hearthandsoulblog.com hearthandsoulblog on instagram and hearthandsoul on facebook 
And if you like what you heard today, please go to iTunes or Google Play or Radio Public and subscribe, rate, and review. Please review. That's how we get out to all the other people who may not have stumbled upon us yet. Hearth and Soul is produced by Scopy Magazine. Head over to scopymag.com to check out literally all the things, podcasts, articles, videos, and more to come. And thanks for listening.